Thank you for joining me on YRF, Your Rural Frequency Podcast. My name is Evan Moore. I'm honored to have you and my guest. Please subscribe and, and leave a review about what you think about each episode. Please share this with anyone who you think would benefit. You know, this episode of YRF, we delve into the connections of who we are to what we do and why we do it. You know, there, there is an incredible amount of symbiosis between these three things. And I can't think of a better example of this than what we discover in real talk with a professional athlete here. And it's deeper than just the act of doing what we love or making a change or following your passion. You know, the, the path that we take is lined with beliefs and influence, which I believe is the catalyst for anyone to follow the road less traveled. There's a ton to glean from here in this interview and, and whatever gets your real frequency hitting on all cylinders, I think there'll be something there for you. In this case, Corey Vaughn, professional water skier, uh, he's a coach, he's a mentor, husband, son, brother. Uh, it gives us a deep, open conversation about what drove him to success and what he practices on the daily on and off the water. And whether you're a water skier or not, it doesn't matter. And I know my listeners are smart enough to draw their own parallels. So please enjoy my conversation with Corey Vaughn. Compliments of uh, Matteo Luzzeri and the Water Ski Podcast. He, uh, yeah, it was just here at the boarding school. Freddie Winter did like a reversal and interviewed Matteo for his podcast, for his own awesome. podcast. I saw the mic. I was like, "Hey, uh, can I borrow that?" <laughs> I obviously listen to Matteo's. He's so funny, but his his content's great. He's doing a fantastic job with the podcast. That's better. Dude, I love, um, your, I love your temporary home. That's awesome. Man, it's the best. I love the motorhome life. It's uh, it's nice and simple. It's yeah. healthy. It yeah. makes you want to be outside all the time. Well, especially if you're in Florida. And I'm just, yeah, here with my wife and my two dogs. You know, it's just our, our little family. It gets nice and cozy in here. And in fact, we did our we did our honeymoon in this uh, motorhome and spent oh, like no two way. months doing a big trip. Yeah. Does she ski? Since we met, she had never, didn't know anything about right. slalom skiing, had never heard of it uh, until we got together. But then I uh, coerced her into coming to Costa Rica for my week of guest coaching there the first winter that we were together. Yeah. And she learned how to get up on two skis down there. And that was seven and a half years ago. And wow. I mean, now she is occasionally running 32 off at 34 so Whoa. yeah she's she's taken to it dang but yeah she's it's great because we're ski partners i mean as importantly for me as her loving it and us getting to share it that way together she's my driver you know as far as a training partner two of that's, us getting after that's a it. big deal that's the best I was thinking my, you know, whoever's responsible for this in the universe to put me in a place and a position to talk to a guy like you who I idolize, um, I admire ethos and your mission, your goals. So I, I can't tell you how much I appreciate your time and how busy you are. Well, it's funny how, um, you know, we only met virtually a number of months ago over yeah. some gear, getting a ski and all that stuff. But, um, just through the email exchanges, like you, you've kept in touch by email. And then I listened to your podcast a little bit and you listened to the one podcast that I was on as a guest yeah. with Lynn. So it's yeah. like, I feel like we 
know each other or feel like we go back further, but really it's only a couple of months. It's a cool starting point to just, you know, unpack a conversation that can go anywhere because it's, yeah. you know, on the one hand, on the one hand, we almost are strangers, but on the other hand, it's kind of like we know each other. So it's a cool right. starting point. 100%. And in our conversation and email and where things were leading, how we got to our personal views was incredible because we share so, so much in that. Um, when, when I was listening to your podcast on, on, on Lynn's show, I literally it was in the garage. I'm working, I'm cleaning the garage. I do it like twice a year, rip everything out. I have usually music on, but this one I really wanted to key into this podcast. And I swear to God, I stopped like 10 times to take notes. And I had a little notepad on my work bench. And I'm like, oh shit, Sapiens? Okay, I'm gonna, I want to read that. I got I to gotta look into this book, look into this author. And, uh, and sure enough, the more I looked into it, I'm like, damn, we're like cut from the same cloth. This is crazy. The opposite ends of the, the nation, different upbringings, of course, which I was really interested to hear. And we'll talk about that more as far as, you know, where, where you come from and, and how you got to where you are. But that we share the same views, you know, as far as, um, you know, faith and religion and understanding of the universe and wanting to know more and being okay with not knowing at all. Yeah, I think that's, you just touched on the big commonality there, which is the acceptance of not knowing at some point, you know, because right. I'm very curious about that space. I was just listening to, to a lecture by C.G. Young yesterday, and he was saying, I don't have beliefs. He said, I either know something or I don't know. And that was an interesting point, but like, for me, I'm very interested in trying to take in the information in those spaces where not only do I not know, but really nobody knows. And that kind of leads to whether you want to call it a belief or a worldview or a speculation. Um, you know, I'm trying to fully formulate or formulate more fully those concepts uh, in that, in those areas that we really don't have solid answers for. And at some point along there, I think that, um, we're all better off to admit that we don't know something than to say, well, I don't know, but I'm going to just put this, you know, figurehead in place as a, as a placeholder for what I don't know and, right. and call it whatever. And then hang a bunch of your values on, on that belief, which you, you already kind of feel like doesn't rest on solid ground. So right. this, this life is, is a bit of a mystery. Like if it's not that, what is it? If you haven't, if you're not experiencing that mystery, then I'm not really sure if you're living. Like, are you alive if you're not experiencing that on a, I don't know, hopefully fairly regular basis? I mean, we all need to have some routine and some ways of organizing our affairs so that everything's not a mystery and, and we don't feel, right. um, you know, taken by surprise all the time. But, right. I mean, I, I love those opportunities to, when, uh, you know, you kind of find yourself a little dumbstruck and mm -hmm. um, you just have to sit with it. and Yeah. I like going into that place and trying to think about what's going on here. I, it, it reminds me of a, a, a lyric from a song and, and it goes, uh, the difference between religion and faith is knowing it all and knowing your place. You know, it's a little bit brash when it comes to separating yourself from that and allowing yourself to, to know your place and know that you don't know and you may never know and being okay. But pondering that and thinking about it just as we do to, to make sense of where we all belong in it is, is critical. Um, 
I, I feel like I spend more time than, than many uh, in that space of wondering where I belong, what I'm doing. Is it really helping those around me? Uh, is, <laughs> is my purpose <laughs> what I'm doing uh, from a day-to-day basis like important? Um, and, and, and that's all I, I can really singularly boil it down to is the next thing that I do will it make an impact? You know, I don't take any text as the answer. I don't take um, the image of, of one superior being as the guiding force that, that's set forth all the principles on how to live. But I'm, I'm trying to create some map in my mind where I do, you know, I'm hanging those beliefs on something, all the same values that you just pointed to about being loving, um, making sure that your actions are, are not going to hurt people and are going to help people. At the end of the day, I feel like we all have the innate bend to live that way. I think we screw it up in plenty of ways. And, mm-hmm. and especially in large numbers in society, we find tons of ways to, to screw it up. In organizations, we find tons of ways to screw it up. But I, I think I'm an optimist in the sense that deep down, each person by default is open-hearted, wants to be open-hearted, um, wants to be loving, is compelled to be that way. Um, and so then the mystery part is, well, wh- why is that the case? You know, what is it and, and what is fundamental about human nature and, and human consciousness that puts us in this, in this position? And then, you know, shoot with the speed of today's world and the news cycle and all the things that are going on all over the world. Then I do get this pretty strong tug of war going back and forth between the optimism and the pessimism because you hear mm. bad stuff every day and there is ba- there's bad things happen and there truly are people with nefarious motives and the people that are just entirely self-interested, you know, so I wrestle with myself about, you know, what is at the core of our of our nature and how, how can we look at that and how can we get at that? And, um, you know, you mentioned something else earlier about, you know, when you confront, I think you said something like more conservative ideals or fundamentalist ideals. One thing I've been trying to do at least with myself lately is I've been trying to remove the labels from my my thought process. So, so to not start identifying myself with a particular, you know, thought group, because basically Mm. once you say, you know, liberal or conservative, Democrat, Republican, evangelical, Muslim, whatever, you just, you kind of take this whole dogmatic uh, box and put it around you know, or, or at least in someone else's mind, you know, if I say, right. Hey, I'm, uh, you know, I'm a libertarian, then people, are, they have like an immediate assumption of all these things that you must think. And, and it's probably not true. I mean, at least I want to be an interesting enough person to not be defined by a couple of quick, you know, cheap labels. Sure. Um, like, Oh yeah, you're a conservative. Well, I know everything about you now, you know, like, <laughs> that that's a poison that we've all kind of swallowed and 100%. you know it's playing out in our 
social media discourse, our civic discourse, obviously right. all the the cable news and and it, just kind of this grenade war of launching attacks at yeah. one another, mostly in in bad faith. Right. We kind of somehow get get past that. So at least in in terms of my my own views, I've been trying to disassociate with like putting myself on a team because then you want your team to win. And then when a conversation opens up with somebody who may disagree with you, if you show your cards as, Hey, I'm, I'm a Democrat, then they're going to assume a bunch of things. And the conversation is quickly going to move to a place where it's almost very predictable. You know what one person's going to say, they're going to have to defend this whole catalog of ideas. And the other side is going to defend this whole other opposing catalog of ideas and both people are going to run apart like towards the poles you know and they're going to start expressing their their differences very quickly whereas the i actually love talking to someone who i i at least somewhat disagree with sure. you know depending on the the person and their interest in having a a deep and you know calm logical conversation right talking to like-minded people i don't know you know, that that's almost part of a problem that we have going on today because we all get siloed and we all nod our head at each other and we just find yeah. people that will reaffirm our worldview <laughs> and our thought have. process. And then yeah. it goes unchecked. And no, none of us is that right. None of us has right. all the answers that well. So I've been I've been seeking out actually, you know, opportunities to discuss. We got some complex topics going on in today's world. The answers aren't, you know, they don't fall by party line that one's got it all right and one's got it all wrong. And so if, if you can like dive into those places and open up a conversation, listen to another perspective. Like I, I don't have, conver I try not to have conversations with people that I think are ill-informed or, mm. you know, are, are not intelligent on, or, you know, on a certain Spending subject. Spending time in it, investing but, the brain power on it. Yeah. But I also know that I don't know all the answers on all the subjects. And some people right. that have a d different persuasion than me, if they've looked into something more than I have, there may be something to, to learn there. And if we can find a point of agreement mm. to start from or to come back to when things start to seem like they've really gone into a V and one of us is way out on one side and way, one's way on the other, we have that point of commonality that we can come back to and touch mm. on, mm -hmm. you know, then the conversation can go on and can continue to become interesting. And I, that's where yeah. I think that when I speak to anybody these days, you know, we can agree on a lot of um, general uh, ideas about love, compassion, sure. um, leaving the world better than we found it, mm -hmm. not wanting the worst outcomes for people nearby or far away. Um, but shoot, you know, you start to go to a social level and these things all become really entangled and there's a lot of opposing and counter forces. Like you, you try to gain in one area and it seems like you lose in another. <laughs> push and pull, push and pull. And we're all really alike. I mean, if you take the 30,000 foot view of humans, um, we look like ants and, and we're just kind of running around and bumping into each other. Regardless of where you are on the planet, you still share so much in common. And the fact that you sleep and you wake up, you have desires, you have fears, you're anxious about things, you love your children, you're worried about your children. You, you want them to be educated. <laughs> you want them to be educated in your own way, which is, can be 
different than other people's view, of course. But in the same sense, you are investing time, you're investing energy into the same issues and thoughts that everybody else is. It kind of shows you the power of the technology that has come online these days, which is, you know, it, it just magnifies those, those differences so greatly. So we live in the world where we feel like we're, you know, 180 degrees apart, all of us or, or many of us, or we're all on, you know, these two big teams, you know, heading towards the, the Super Bowl, meaning the election or whatever. Right. And it's, it's all, it's kind of become hyped up and commercialized in the sense that it's got everyone's attention. People are watching, following the news, which is good. Like it's important to be informed, but it's got this whole emotional component where, you know, you're, you want what's good for the country. You want to vote in, in such a way or become involved in such a way that reflects your values and takes the society, the country in, in the direction that you believe in. But I feel like what's going on now is, has kind of umbrella over top of that where you know it's this whole cultural charade it ha we all are part of this big reality tv show and this big social experiment where all this stuff's getting hashed out on facebook and social media and we're our brains just not designed and equipped to empathize with people in small text windows where there's just a you know a picture of them somewhere like you know people are willing to say things that they would never say to someone's face and that's just getting worse and worse. And, and then there's this kind of like ongoing feedback loop that happens between the cable news outlets and the social media and like one drives the other. And so look how, I mean, just using our nation, I mean, your, your point about a, a global, you know, humanity is true. Like we're not all that many shades apart, no matter you pick two humans off the globe anywhere they all want clothes and food and shelter and the best life for their children. They want to love somebody and, and be loved, feel like they're a part of a community, have a strong family or, or support. Um, and those things don't, don't differ anywhere. They don't want to be oppressed by either government or some outside force. They, they want to exercise their will to the extent that they can without harming someone else. Like right. those simple truths are more or less at the, at the core of most of us. And, um, I hope so. yeah, we don't, we don't walk through the world, you know, thinking, having that as our default setting, we walk through the world. I feel like now seeing, you know, somebody and just judging them right. in, in a very quick way based on how they're dressed or what car they drive. But I was having this conversation with somebody, I think just, just the other day where it's like, you know, Republicans and Democrats are disliking each other so strongly and thinking that the other side is just pure evil or stupid or crazy. If, I think if you look at how people live their lives, you're going to find Democrats and Republicans living on the same street. You know, they drive in the same cars. It's not that there aren't Republicans driving Priuses and Teslas and there's not Democrats driving F-250s and, you know, and diesels. You know, it, it's both. And they're both trying to get their kids to the best school, like you're saying. Yeah. Like when they're both ordering everything from Amazon, you know, it's, there's, when you break it down, if you were just a, an alien observer, you would, and you watched a hundred different people and then somebody gave you a test and said, well, you watch the lifestyles of these people, you know, who are the, who are the Democrats and who are the Republicans? Like you wouldn't know. Like, I think before we get in such a hurry to go pointing the finger across the table and say, 
you know, you bunch of idiots, you basket of deplorables, you whatever. I think first is probably better to hold up a mirror and to say, you know, to what extent am I wrapped up in this whole system that is new and, you know, there are no traditions to govern like how to interplay with all of this technology and overload of information and um, this type of culture war, which our societies, you know, hasn't seen in in, in this exact way at any point before. Well, technology has never been this far, uh, so far advanced to allow us to get to this point. And you've heard the old adage that we didn't evolve to compensate. And you mentioned that before. We didn't evolve to to, to be able to ingest this much information, um, this much discord. We evolved so we can make sense of who our tribe is, who will help us sustain and who will help us procreate and grow so we can maintain existence on earth. So the farther we depart from that, I think the farther at risk we are from really doing some serious detrimental damage to our species. If you want to start slalom skiing as a total beginner or have goals of crushing that next line length of podium at your next tournament, reach out to Corey on Instagram and Facebook at Peace Love and Water Skiing or go to peaceloveandwaterskiing.com. People travel from far and wide to, to Bumpus, Virginia to get one-on-one coaching from him. Truly an experience of a lifetime. Let's get back to our conversation with Corey. I know that uh, you're supposed to be the one asking the questions here, but um, I mean, I think that we would, yeah, I think that we'd agree that, you know, to, to take the analogy of a frequency, our frequency is all going really fast up, down, up, down. And that what is uh, our real frequency in general is something that we would have almost settle down into, Mm -hmm. um, you know, and find that baseline of, of more being and less doing. And I guess my question for you is, you know, have you found any, any practices uh, or habits in particular that have helped you to do that? Hmm. We all have different frequencies and um, within this podcast, it's your real frequency. So it's yours to own in particular, which is different than others. And we all have a different baseline and that's defined um, by who we are and our personality and our ego and our wants, our desires, our dreams and needs. With me, it, it took me a long time, man. I always, um, I wasn't uh, this informed. Let me just say that. I, I, I lived the much of my youth thinking I was invincible. And then I lived the better part of my early adulthood, not caring if anything happened to me because I was living the life. I was, I just wanted to have a good time. I mean, the the utmost hedonist, uh, 100% hedonist. And if it killed me, hey, I, I, I died having a great time. About eight years ago, I decided that uh, that wasn't the healthiest lifestyle, nor, nor would it really uh, behoove my family for me to live like this. So I made some really deep, deep fundamental changes physically, um, you know, mentally. I did a lot of work. And at that point, I realized... Oh, 
I don't know what the fuck my frequency is. <laughs> I, I have no idea because it's like this and my baseline's up here and then sometimes it's down here and then I'm medicating with alcohol, experiences, you running from things. Yeah, like, what the hell? So, so once I took out a lot of the, the variable extrinsic influence and settled down in my environment, I was able to find like, okay, this is where I want to be. This is where I'm, I'm most efficient. This is where I'm most kind. This is where I can make the best decisions that suit me and my family um, and not be so damn disruptive in other people's lives. <laughs> that's a big thing. I don't want to be a knife that's twisted in someone else's business. I don't want anything to do with that. I got enough going on. They have enough going on. But having the awareness, listening to my body, listening to my gut, being aware of what I'm taking in um, is, is my normalized frequency. When I'm out of whack, I can tell you when I'm out of whack. It's in the winter. It's coming, man. I, I, I'm, I'm starting to hang. I just read your article right, in Water Ski Magazine about <laughs> about packing stuff up. Oh, no, that was it. That wasn't my best work, honestly. But yeah, <laughs> I, I know. I read it. I get it. You know, and and you're right. Yeah, in in many ways. But you said melancholy. This is a melancholy time. I was like, yep, Corey, you're right, mm-hmm. man. This is sad because I know we're in for. I'm in for a big fall when it comes to not having water skiing as my barometer. It has become such a piece of my life. I'm obsessed about it. I, we, you've talked about meditation, and that is not something that I have practiced. I need to be honest. I, as many podcasts, books, and apps I have about it and read about it and know about it, <laughs> I do not practice daily, bro. <laughs> and I know how beneficial it is, and everyone's telling me. My, my brain is, is like... Um, it's it's chaos uh, from from day to day. Uh-huh. That's why I can do a podcast, run my own business, have a family. It, it's always turning. <laughs> and if you have any suggestions on how I get this started, I I'm all ears, brother. Oh well, with with meditation, I aspire to be a daily practitioner myself, but I'm not, and it kind of comes and goes. And it you know, it's one of those funny things where. When you're, I have done it regularly, routinely. I do feel like I have a greater sense of clarity and focus through the rest of the day. Where, you know, to use your word, I'm more efficient. Like I'm a little bit more on my own frequency, and I'm not barraged by this overflowing stream of thoughts that never quits and piles my to-do list higher than I'll ever be able to get done in a day or a week, and it just goes, goes, goes. Because I feel like we're probably much the same that way too. And, and then when I'm not doing it. I feel like there's no time to do it because uh, I got t- 10,000 things to do. But then when I'm doing it, I realize that I'm able to do much more because I'm more focused and more clear. Like back to Yuval Noah Harari, I heard him interviewed and he meditates for two hours every day. And he's oh. a professor at a university and he's writing all of these amazing books and doing speaking tours. And somebody said to him, it's like, you're, you know, you're on the forefront uh, as a public intellectual. You're traveling the world how do you have time to meditate every day for two hours? And he said, it's the other way around. He's like, I would not be able to do all of these things. I wouldn't have the ability, the time to do all these things if I didn't have that time for myself. So I've caught a glimpse of that. I'm by no means, you know, I'm, I'm striving to be 10 minutes a day, you know, right. consistently. I think at this point, even, you know, I'm striving to be like a solid four times a week. That's like at least most days. And I think that, you know, there is, there's benefit there. And I think at one point, 
you know, the, the most I ever felt like I was in a, in a swing with it was maybe I did a good, like kind of three months running, not, not every day, but very much most days. And I really did feel some, some great benefits. I really did feel a lot more grounded and centered in myself and a lot less, you know, tossed around by the stream of thoughts in my head that were mm. pushing me left, pushing me right, up, down, all over. So I, I know there's value there, but I'd say I'm cl- more like you. Like, I know it's there. I've read about it, heard about it, uh, <laughs> but need to get down to business more with uh, with actually doing it. Yeah. Um, but always, I feel like there's always those things to strive for, right? Like that's part of, that's part of living your, your real frequency too, is they're always trying to figure out, you know, what, what step, what action, what habit is going to reinforce that which you want to see in yourself and help optimize. to tune out, yes. optimize and help to minimize those things that, you know, you see in yourself that are ugly or that you, yeah. that you don't like. And I think where we see those the most is actually when we see them in other people. And oh, then 100%. again, we point our finger at that person and, and judge them Oh, for yeah. exactly something that we dislike about ourselves, and then that's just a deflection strategy that that allows our ego to stay preserved and uh, yeah. and make it all about how bad somebody else is. So especially in this, I'd say this moment that we're in in time with so much turmoil and division. One thing, not meditation, but at least as a a daily, you know, contemplative sort of thing is trying to put that mirror up to myself and point the finger back in and realize like, I don't have all the answers. That doesn't mean that I don't see right and wrong in what's going on in the world. And I'm not willing to say that I think somebody else's view on something is completely wrong or misinformed and misguided and is going to take, you know, push the needle the completely wrong way. It doesn't mean I'm valueless, but In terms of how I want to engage with that person or choose not to engage with that person, at least I want to lead with with the awareness that, hey, uh, I'm struggling through this time too. I'd like to find common ground with this person if I can and then see what might come. And, you know, a lot of maybe people won't give you the time of the day and it'll feel useless at times. And I mean, going back to what we've already said, I think in many cases, we should just try to stop working these things out on platforms like Facebook that are not designed for it and are pretty much, we, we have the data on it by now, only going to make it worse. You're just not <laughs> going to have good conversations. We're not going to find the answers there. You're not going to get deep with somebody, especially somebody you don't know that just wants to come and troll you. And Right. And, and listen, Mark Zuckerberg, he's, I don't think he's uh, intentional racist. I don't think he's, um, no. you know, political one side or the other, but at the same time is a freaking private company and do whatever the hell he wants. And we have the choice to be on it or not. It's not like we're forced to open it up and be exposed to all this negativity, <laughs> like turn the fucking thing off. Like we, we as humans have not only the right to separate ourselves, but the responsibility to like put, keep things in perspective. Let's just continue to keep things in perspective. That's our responsibility, not Mark Zuckerberg's or anybody that works at Facebook. If they go bonkers off the wall, completely right or completely left, or they're working with Russia, whatever, that's their thing. 
our responsibility at this point to be like, okay, we got to shut it down. Let's refocus, focus on family, focus on what's in front of us, focus on connecting with friends, just as you and I are today in this way, shape or form. Oh yeah. We (laughs) we went on an hour diatribe. Yeah. We can get lost down the the Facebook rabbit hole easily because there's so much to say, but yeah. I don't want him yeah. to shut us down either, though. I might, I might be posting this on Facebook, ironically, <laughs> just to let people know. Yeah, I think I probably, yeah. I'll, I'll share it. I'll put it out there. Good. Uh, um, yeah. Notice, I wanted to talk about your worldviews and and your value system prior to talking about your professional career, um, because I, I'm consciously make an effort to get to know people before talking about what they do for a living. Um, I think in, in, in our culture, we tend to like, hi, my name's Evan. Hey, nice to meet you, Corey. What do you do for a living? As opposed to what are you about? Do how's your family? Who are you? Yeah. Who are you? So, um, listen, water skiing is very much part of your life. It has gotten to you where you are now. How has this professional sports life that you live coincide with your values as a human being and and how do they counteract each other? How do they help each other? I would say water skiing uh, was a family sport. Like I learned when I was three, my grandparents and my mom taught me and it was something that all my aunts and uncles did. And I was the first little grandchild to come along and it just kind of fell right into it. Who knew it would be, uh, it would turn into the story of my life in, in the way that it has, because we were just, you know, big water skiers. We weren't they weren't part of a club. They weren't competitive skiers. My mom and my granddad, um, you know, eventually we, they bought a slalom course and started trying to figure that out. Now, my granddad was a huge sports fan. Hmm. Um, so he played college basketball and he, you know, he loved sports. He followed all of the Washington sports teams and college football and just, you know, a, a real academic of, of the sports as well as, you know, he, he played a bunch of them when he was a young, young person. And so um, he ended up falling in love with water skiing, which, as you and I know, is a sport that you can do late into your life, you know, into your later years. It's not like um, some where you, you pretty much have a timeline and you can't you can't really keep doing it, at least not at a level that's enjoyable and worth doing. But water skiing, you very much can. You know, now fast forward all the way to here, my my wife and I are now, you know, looking at and, and hoping to have a family of our own. And, um, you know, that's something that uh, given how involved I am and how much she has gotten into the sport and how much we love doing it together, it's something I hope to share with, uh, with my family as well. I mean, my, my mom still, uh, skis, so it's really cool when she comes and, and does it a bunch of my cousins and stuff. It's one thing that we all like to do, you know, on a, on a Saturday or Sunday afternoon in the summer is spend the day hanging out at the lake and, and skiing together. Because you said something really, you know, it's a little branch here. You said something really key earlier about kind of water skiing being a, a tribe or a community. That's also something that I have realized was has always been there. But over time, I think I've gained more and more appreciation for the strength of the water ski community. And um, not only that, because I've heard that said since I was a kid, and I've felt that in many ways since I was a, a little kid, like, oh, this is such a, just a nice group of people. It's a strong mm. community. But in a world, like we were saying earlier, where I think community in many places is being replaced by 
isolation and alienation. We're just, we're losing, we're, we're, our community muscles are atrophying mm. across society. It's not any one person's fault. It's not any, you know, one group's fault. It's just the pace of our lives and, and the way that technology is integrating into society and, and what innovations have, have brought us to at this point. If you went back a couple of generations and looked at how, um, you know, my grandparents lived, I think that there was a stronger sense of community uh, in the people that were around you, almost like, like family. Like in many places that I have been in water skiing, like you said, I've gotten to travel, you know, more than I ever dreamed possible. And you kind of pick up with a stranger somewhere that's a water skier and you get chatting just, just like we opened this uh, podcast with you and I saying that we feel like we've known each other for a long time, but really it's only been a couple of months where, you know, we got connected about some equipment and me trying to get you a a ski. And, um, but like, you know, here we are a few months later exploring (laughs) some, some big picture concepts together. Mm. And, um, that's not uncommon, you know, like maybe you and I are a bit more nerdy than the rest and we like this stuff a whole lot. Um, (laughs) But just, but the sense that if I flew to Spokane and and we weren't in the middle of a major pandemic, like I wouldn't think twice about picking up the phone and calling you and just being like, Hey, I'm in Spokane. Let's, let's get lunch. Let's get, Hey, can I come sleep on your couch? You know, whatever. 100%. That that's something that's so widespread. Skiers mm. in in a world where we distrust each other more and more. Right. Skiers trust each other completely. You go to a ski tournament where there's 50 people, cars parked all through the parking lots, doors open, keys in the ignition, $1000 <laughs> skis just laying around, you know, for anyone to pick up, wallets and phones just sitting next to the starting dock, you know, in in your hat. You know, no nobody's worried about something getting stolen or right. and by and large even in a competitive sport even at the highest levels yeah okay there are rules and every once in a while you know maybe somebody wants to push the margins of a rule or something for some advantage but i would say by and large um the sportsmanship at the amateur level and at the professional level is is very strong maybe that's because there's not a huge monetary incentive like there mm. would be if you were a pro tennis player and there was millions of dollars for this title and there was some way that you thought you could cheat and get away with it mm-hmm. um you know maybe there would be a higher incentive and and everybody has their price sort of thing would would right. reveal that its integrity could be compromised but by and large competitors are are good sports in their in their practice and off the water which as you know as a water skier most of our time is off the water. There's only such a short time that we oh can be gosh. actually water skiing. <laughs> I don't think people you know? realize uh, the brevity of what you actually do. For uh, people that are, are listening that aren't water skiers or don't know about it, like today, for example, I will probably be in the water wet for a total of about 15 minutes. And of that 15 minutes, the time on top of the water on my ski will probably be 30 seconds down the lake from the deep water start to the drop, you know, mm-hmm. with the course in between, sure. um, you know, what eight passes, 30 seconds, like four minutes of actual water skiing. Like that's, that's a solid training day. And it's four minutes of being on my water ski. It yeah. wipes you out and you need to recover oh, yeah. from something like that. That's how, I mean, mentally and physically too. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, the level of focus, you would think that for, 
you know, 16.08 seconds, like you said, that you could just have one steady stream of focus, uh, you know, to run the course and be engaged in what you're doing. And it's amazing how easily in 16 seconds you can become distracted or you, you're getting oh up gosh. and preparing to go into the course and you're thinking, okay, I'm going to do this. And then you get in there and, <laughs> you know, no sooner are you feel like you started and that thought is out the window and you don't even Done. realize it until you finish the run. You're like, oh, yep, I didn't think about that thing that I thought I was going to think about. 100%. I do it all the time. And for us, they're like, okay, and next time I'm going to do it. And I'm just going to solely yeah. work on keeping <laughs> the handle to my hip and, you know, opening up. And God forbid you give me three things to do from the boat in the right. course, it's I rough. won't do any of them. <laughs> they just all go out the window and I'm just scrapping and fighting to get, you know, four ball. The connection between the sport, our rules, the community and connectivity is so much like sometimes I believe you would run your life or I run my life. Like there are times where I wake up in the morning and I'm like, I'm going to do this, this, and this in my course of life. And then the end of the day gets there. I'm like, Oh shit. Do any I, of it. <laughs> I had intentions on doing it. I really did. I had true intentions of, <laughs> of focusing on this part of my form through my life at the office or in work. I don't know. <laughs> and, and the best thing to do is like, okay, well, let's do it again. Time, I call it time behind the boat. And I'm sure you do too. Like, yeah. like how do yeah, you, how did you get to where you were? Because it's so because brief. 10,000 hours type of thing. Yeah, right. Exactly. Until it gets ingrained. Talk about habitual movement. You've read books about habits, how long it takes to actually ingrain one, how long it takes to break one. Same thing with life. Same thing with this sport, this crazy sport of water skiing. I think that's right. I think, you know, we could really spend a lot of time drawing out those those parallels between water skiing and life. And that's something that I have thought about quite a bit. Um, and I think that whether you're thinking along those lines or not as a water skier, it is who you are off the water is showing up on the water. If you're, you know, if you're frantic and distracted and that's how you're operating in your affairs, that's how you're going to be out there. If you just had an argument with somebody and you're all worked up, you know, you're not going to be able to ski well and just, you won't have that, you won't have that focus. You won't be in yourself and you won't be your, your best self out there well it's unconventional and i've really had to in many ways make a make a choice face a bunch of fear namely fear of failure when i decided that this is what i wanted to do uh, because it was just a passion there's no pot of gold at the end of this rainbow it doesn't matter how good of a water skier you are and if you win every single tournament you're you're not making a million dollars i i grew up loving the sport and having a passion for it and probably you know i'm thankful that it was a seasonal sport for me growing up and not something that i was ever pushed to do you know in fact quite the opposite i was always begging for one more ski ride begging for a new ski this year begging for the right kind of life jacket or the really cool pair of gloves or yeah. you know whatever and it was always those reins were always begging to go off to yeah ski school in the winter like some of my friends did you know I, I was just craving that stuff and I never you know I, I was very fortunate in that my mom and my grandparents they did support my my habit sure. to a degree that was obviously fostered that passion and enabled it to mm. keep going and I I did we did get involved in tournaments and get to you know experience that but it it was in a far different way than the the way I see so many kids coming up in the sport 
now where it's so, you know, it, it, like it is in many sports, there's a pressure to uh, succeed and to excel and to perform. And you have to make this like year round commitment to specializing in your particular sport. And that's the opposite. Like, you know, I got to be at the lake for two and a half months every year and ski, but then it was back home, you know, where I went to school and it was all the other sports all year. And as melancholy as it was to make that trip home and leave the lake, you know, and put it down knowing I wouldn't get to be back with my ski for, you know, a good nine months. Um, yeah, as a kid, you move in, you go back to school, you see those friends, you get on the sports team, start playing flag football or whatever it is. And, you know, that's just what you do. And you kind of forget right. about the other, but then man, when you show back up, like, and it's finally summer again, like all that passion can be unleashed. And basically for me, you know, I got to ski collegiately, which extended my season a bit, but it was not something that um, I was highly focused on in terms of really training, trying to get much sure. better. I didn't really have a push or a lot of, yeah, to really strive for some level of greatness, which would have, which I know now takes just an incredible amount of commitment and dedication yeah. and a whole lifestyle change and whatever. I was just kind of like, I was a pretty good, you know, decent collegiate skier and just kind of coasted on that. And I was focused primarily on having a great time that, that hedonism, like you mentioned, yeah. um, which I think probably in your case and in mine and probably in most others is really just a product of the status quo and social conditioning. It's nothing's telling you not to be that way. And pretty much everything and everyone around you is telling you to be that way. And I think, sure. you know, you obviously have popped the bubble you know, and kind of realized that that wasn't going to end up taking you to a fulfilling place. Mm -hmm. And I think for me, water skiing was the, the single catalyst that popped that bubble and took me out of what ultimately for me would have probably ended up being a, an addictive and destructive and minimally fulfilling i mean who, who knows you can't predict the, the future but i right. had some i had some habits going i had a, a current flowing in a direction uh, i had to swim against uh, and in, in some ways i am still swimming against um but at least i'm aware that it's there and had that gone unchecked and had i not kind of had this you know these 22 years 23 years i guess it was of passion for water skiing build up and ultimately culminate in this moment of facing fears to step out and say, okay, I'm going to make this life choice and I'm going to pursue this dream, which is, was essentially a fantasy or, mm -hmm. you know, I can keep my, my job, uh, that is paying the bills and, you know, just kind of follow the, the status quo status norm, quo, yeah. you know, predictable, what you're supposed to do with your life as a 23 year old sort of plan. And, you know, I cannot be more thankful that I, I took the risk, faced down some fears and realized, you know, it's very possible. I mean, looking back, it, it's been some amazing strokes of luck and, and bits of good fortune and opportunities that have presented themselves right at the right time that just spurred me along that, that extra little bit that then allowed me to get to that next little level. And it's mm -hmm. just been this, this slow, steady, and you know, like that's water skiing. It is a slow, steady, constant grind and push. And it's, you know, two steps forward, one step back sort of deal. There's no instant gratification. Like at any point, there's gratification. <laughs> it's deep so. gratification over a lot of time. 
yes. versus instant gratification. Yeah. And I think that parallels kind of, that was the fork in the road that I was at in my life there as a 23 year old where I was, I had a job, it was paying the bills and it was paying my bar tab where right. I would go and bum cigarettes off of people to further medicate myself for the fact that I was not in a fulfilling direction. I was not on a yeah. fulfilling road. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't adding up to anything that meant something deep to me. And then being a young and naive, foolish person that I was uh, at 23, but also at least with some of the wherewithal to, to somehow come to the right conclusion and, and make a, a, a step into the unknown. Um, you know, I, like you described with yourself, I had a very radical lifestyle change. Um, you know, I, I put down the, uh, some of the bad habits, at least I lessened them to a large degree. Um, and then started learning about, that's when I started learning about nutrition. That's when I, when I read the omnivores dilemma and I was like, Whoa, yeah, I wasn't even aware, you know, I just was kind of sleepwalking through the, the world in, in these ways, not even knowing how some of these big picture things are, are working. Right. Yeah, I started exercising. I started feeling a lot better. Like I didn't even realize, you know, that amount of change was possible in my, my body and my being. I'm not talking about like on the scale or in the mirror. I'm talking about how I felt, you know, going from eating kind of the, the, the college diet of the cheapest, you know, the low hanging right. fruit in the grocery store financially, just the cheap stuff. Um, you know, and trying to put meals together for myself to, oh, I need to be raiding that produce section. I need to stay out of those middle aisles of the store where all the processed stuff is. And I mean, since then, I've been on a, a journey to try to optimize and, and f find out what really works best for me. But basically, eating whole foods and fresh foods right. uh, as opposed to processed foods, like in within, I don't know, a matter of weeks, I started to feel like I was in a different body just you know energetically mm. you know if i kind of trace it all back to where i felt like i was at this huge decision point this inflection point i really am am deeply thankful for the sport of water skiing the pursuit that i've been on to open up these channels of self-realization actualization and and basically it it constantly holds that mirror back up to me and allows me to check myself just like you said as a, a barometer yeah. um, by having that outlet where I want to go there and perform well you know yeah because you know I, I don't want to go out there and embarrass myself uh, mm. in front of my friends family people watching you know, there, maybe there's some level of vanity cooked in there, sure. but, um, I think at the deepest level, what, what really motivates me uh, in skiing is, you know, we have this chance to go out there each time and work towards our potential and try to discover mm -hmm. where is, you know, how far can I take this? What is that ultimate point? And, and to me, that very much is how I want to live my life. I don't want to coast along and, and, and be afraid to reach for my highest potential because I, am, I may jump for it and fall flat a couple of times, which is almost certain to happen. You know, I, I think pretty much every really successful person has said, you know, look at my track record. You know, I got denied. I got rejected. I got shut mm -hmm. down. I lost. I failed. And then they, those all taught me things I, those were all learning lessons along the way propelled me forward it's it's some of that just perseverance and not taking your eye off of 
that whatever you want to call it, that target or that that goal out ahead, or just that like to me, it's the curiosity. Like I know right now, I'm not the best water skier that I'm ever going to be. But it's really against yourself, which is which is really right. strange and dynamic as far as uh, the the rules of the sport go. You go until you fail. Um, it, it may be that you went further than everybody else, which puts you on the podium, but you still failed. <laughs> yeah, and, still uh, failed somewhere. A conundrum that we we struggle with. Same thing in life. I am a dreamer. My wife is the she's super practical. We make a great team because I'm shooting for some wild and crazy uh, goals uh, that I am obsessed and um, focused on making tangible and realizing. She's the one that tempers me like, okay, well, you know, there's a couple steps we need to do before we get there, right? And I'm like, I know, I know, I know. Those are details. It sounds familiar. Just, <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure we're very much alike. Yeah. No, I just want to get to 41 off right now. Screw 32 off, through screw 35 off, through screw 38 off. We, we got to get through 15 off and 22 off and 28 off before you can even dream about 32. And, and, um, and so there's that balance that like I'm kept in check. The course is like my wife, like, and the rope length is like my wife. <laughs> there's a system here. Yeah. There are steps you have to take to get to the next level and you can do it. Uh, if you do it with patience, if you do it with purpose and, uh, with focus and putting the right things in your body to get the right things out of it. I have found that podcast you did so inspirational you put words into thoughts that I had that I couldn't piece together. That's a big compliment because that's one of my very favorite things when I'm listening to someone else speak or reading someone else's work and they kind of put their finger on something. It's like, yes, that idea has been bouncing around up there, but like I just couldn't tie it down and like put the words around it that I brought it together. But, but yeah, to the point you're making, you know, it, it goes to that, that old adage about, you know, you have to love the the journey. You have to love the process because that's what skiing is. There is no ultimate outcome. There's no way to beat the game. And and that's the way life is. It's only going to end one way. Like you said, skiing ends in failure. Life ends in death. Like those are certainties. So when, when it's all over, all that, all that really matters was the process and that journey. And were you, were you true to yourself? Were you dialed into your real frequency? Um, or were you constantly trying to push outside of yourself and beyond in a way that didn't serve you? Or were you never, were you never even trying that and, and suppressing yourself and, and talking yourself down, negative talking yourself to the point where you didn't give yourself the chance? Where is that conversation that we're just having right here about, about your potential and striving for it and being willing to take risks and, and just lunge ahead and try. Where is that conversation in our social sphere? Like, I don't feel like there's a lot of conditioning that Mm. are grabbing our young people, which I I think our young people are becoming, you know, more brilliant than ever before, you know, generation by generation. But I feel like what we're, we're giving them old wisdom, you know, and and Mm. we're kind of tamping them, down and constraining their their outlooks on what their life can be like you know through maybe antiquated models of schooling and and mm-hmm. just a, a barrage of social messaging that's all about 
you know, looking great, having status and getting things. And when you just live in the world that is showing you more and more and more of that, you believe that that's what life is about. And, right. and that's the, the, the whole reason for education is not to become, you know, a, a wiser person or to learn how to learn for your whole life, but to show that a certain degree of aptitude so that you can get a job where you can show more aptitude so that you can make more money so that you can get all these things that are out there and look really cool and have the status and whatever, you know, where is the strong cultural messaging, you know, and, and who, who out there is really disagreeing with us when we say, Hey, you know, we all have some, some different starting lines, which sometimes are very predictable of where our finish lines are going to be, you know, and I think that that's one of our ills of society that, that we should all be paying a little more attention to and addressing because, you know, how, how can we take great satisfaction in personal accomplishment when you feel like other people didn't even have the chance to have that same level? And Mm. that's something that I struggle with a little bit in my pursuit. Paralleling to to skiing, you can't progress without those failures. You cannot. Um, That's just not a part of the game. Just as life, you cannot progress without failure. You go and go and push and push until you fail. And then you work on what you failed upon. So you can correct it and go a little bit further. Now, if that part, if that dialogue is a a good part of the upbringing of our children and those that are impressionable and those that are going to follow us, I think talking more about that, how to recover and what to do differently so they can get to those start, those dreams of, I want to be rich. I want to be a YouTube star. I I want to be this. Well, okay. Yeah. What social media is putting in your brain and what you're seeing. There's a lot in between when a person was your age to where they are now at the status level and the, and the wealth that they are. So there's nothing wrong with shooting for that. You have to understand, like there's a lot that went on behind the scenes. We watch you guys at tournaments and they're like people, everyone that I watch with, Oh God, I wish I could turn two ball. Like, Corey does. And that's his offside. So I I don't know. I don't know how he does it. Well, you know how he did it? He busted his ass, failed a shit ton of times, (laughs) worked on that, focused on that, talked about it, watched video about it, uh, obsessed about it, which we do. We could do the same things within life when it comes to the failures instead of deflecting Um, that that bad circumstance or that failure was placed upon me out of my control. Oh, well, what am I going to do? I guess I got to move on. No, it's your responsibility. Um, You are responsible for everything that happens to you, (laughs) intentional or non-intentional by somebody else or yourself. And you need to work to correct it. I mean, that's a human responsibility we all have, just as we do in the course in skiing. Um, I talk about that with my kids. I talk about death a lot with my kids. And I think that's also important because knowing there is an end to all this, I'm certainly going to die. But the, the importance of even knowing like the end is coming and we're here for a very finite amount of time. Let's make the, the best of it. What, one of the greatest things I got from, from you was the app We Croak. And uh, of the Bhutan tradition, Bhutan monk tradition is to think about death five times a day. And this app sends me messages five times a day. Matter of fact, one popped up while we were talking that says, you are going to die. And you click on it and it's got these wonderful inspirational quotes, not dark and deep and 
you know, you know, putting you in a bad place, but like, Oh yeah, you know, I need to realize this moment is fleeting and I sure as hell want to make the most of it. Well, I mean, I couldn't agree with you more. Um, it is, there's something as far as agreement that we should all be able to, to, uh, to find in common that it's going to end for all of us. And, uh, we're all in that one together. Like there's nobody in history that's, that's gotten out of it. You and all of your loved ones at some point are going to meet an end. Uh, but that's what makes the whole journey meaningful. Um, and I think, uh, you know, to quickly use our water ski example as, uh, you know, our, our parallel to life. For me, it's much more about quality than quantity. Uh, it's both on the water. Like I would rather come in energetic, strong, focused, and have a great ski ride and feel really good about it than take my fifth ski ride for the day where I can barely hold on to the handle because my hands are bleeding, my muscles are all shot and torn. I'm not focused because I've just taken so many looks at it that I'm my head's spinning. Because then I'm not even really there, right? I'm not even really present at that point. And I think that our lives are amazingly short, um, even if we live to a ripe old age, you know, 80, 100. You know, I had the experience of having my grandfather live with me for his last three plus years of life. And I could see that really dawning on him. Now, he lived a very fulfilling life and, and how thankful I was that that he was because that made that time, you know, which could have been full of regret and remorse mm -hmm. and sorrow, you know, not that way. It was, there was some, you know, melancholy uh, thinking about, you know, his, my grandmother had died, his loss of his wife, who was his life partner for 60 years and mm -hmm. um, his other friends that had gone before him and so forth. But, um, you know, he did do the things that he set out to do with his life. I'm not even sure that he was as intentional in the way that you and I are talking about today. Mm. He, but he, he was this fantastic character, which I'm still, um, you know, understanding more and more in, in my mind, maybe just as I age and, you know, become closer to thinking about having a family, something that, that he did and which was his, you know, his ultimate pride and accomplishment in life you know he he just had a very clear sense of of self like almost effortlessly that the type of thing that we all i think are would be striving towards through meditation and and things like that um somehow he just you know he wasn't into that sort of thing uh he like contemplative practices discussing things at a high level being willing to kind of open up the boxes we'd play devil's advocate for each other so he liked that kind of verbal sparring and dialogue discussion debate what have you um maybe not surprisingly he raised three lawyers uh and one doctor but the probably all of the the debating and arguing in the house primed um, yeah. my mom and her brother and sister to be uh to kind of breeze their way through law school <laughs> that's uh, what a yeah they, well, they weren't afraid of of standing up and and speaking you know yeah. their thoughts or their mind no matter you, know? you and and Neither am I. In fact, of anything, I feel like for me, I've I've been trying to rein in and just make sure I take a measured tone, you <laughs> right. know, so that I can stand behind every word that I say. Sure. And it's not even about being super persuasive to people because I do accept like there's plenty of people whose minds are never going to change, and that's 
that's fine. That's part of everyone, you know, having their own experience. Um, but at least to make give people pause at, and maybe think about something in a slightly different way or, or be heard. I think if you just kind of come spouting and mm. pointing finger and lecturing and mm. almost um, speaking a, a dogma or a doctrine, eh, somebody else's mind can just turn your volume down real quick and it goes right into the background, kind of like the old peanuts, just wah, 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 wah. <laughs> you know? and I don't, I don't want to be that to anybody. I'd like no. to at least be interesting um, and give, give people something to talk about, think about, mm-hmm. and, and open the discussion rather than try to open and shut case. This yeah. is how I see it. And you're, you're wrong. You're dumb. And listening um, and listening is so much a part of yeah. the talking and, and that's, that's critical. I'm sure your grandfather did that for you. Um, just to, to let everybody in. Um, I believe you were his primary caretaker for the last three years of his life. Is that right? Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that was you. And that was uh, what a precious time you you got to spend with him in those in those last three years, and and connect and draw as much as you could from him that that possible um, before his last day, um, and how impactful that was. Obviously, it gave you and yeah. you on life, and and then death, and how it all ends, and what you want from from uh, your life while you're here. Yeah, that up close and personal look at at kind of the end stages, you know, definitely left um, a lot with me. Mm. You know, I was very close with him, and we spent a lot of time together in the all, my the all the years of my life. You know, sure. I did spend all summer with them at the lake, and that's how I got into skiing. And I, my mom and I, lived in the in the home with them up until I was thirteen. So we we were always very connected and very close. And so sure. the last three years weren't some. Like I'm just learning who he is, but sure. okay. me being at a different stage of life and him being at a different stage of life and in this very unique um, circumstance of, you know, caregiving, he had Parkinson's, uh, mm. which was just a tricky type of thing. And, mm. um, and I mean, I can tell you for sure, it wasn't all pretty, you know, like a lot of okay. people like to pat me on the back and commend me for being such an angel and doing this, you know, heroic and rare thing selfless um yeah yeah you know but i i I can't take that compliment in that way in being authentic to myself because yes you know it was there were times where it was very difficult and 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 yeah it's not for everybody um but there were t- and there were times where we overcame some amazing difficulties together and really mm. rose above and and uh, people have told me that they you know that was inspiring to them and and ultimately you know t- we had a relationship together uh, you know and a deep deep love together but there were definitely times where the situation <laughs> got the best of me uh, and i was you know in a, in a in a moment of being overwhelmed acted or spoke more harshly than i wish that i did it was un- unnecessary to be like that but there are just there become so many emotions tied into the picture that you're seeing or the situation you know all t- he did um start to lose some mental clarity mm-hmm. and and you know had obviously forgetfulness and some dementia type of things and mm-hmm. then when you're you're basically with your life's hero and they're in this state which is not what you wish for them it's not their fault you just 
you don't want it to be the case. You're, mm-hmm. you're more angry at, you know, the universe. You're angry at the situation, not at them, but they're the living being right in front of you. Sure. That is challenging. You know, that's part of what's creating this whole challenging event. And so when, when those feelings of anger rise to the surface and, and I don't manage to keep a lid on them or I didn't manage to keep a lid on them at some times, then they are directed right at this person who's in your care, who's mm. at no, at no fault. You just want to have, you know, truly deeply want to just help them. And here you're kind of hurting them with, with words or with attitude. I'm a human in a situation that I feel like I handled very much like a human with another human right. that I did love dearly. And we did the best we could. I did the best I could. And he certainly did too with an amazing amount of will and determination and courage like any human situation it didn't come without its trials and sure. some again some some failures at least in my estimation of my myself and my actions and my best potential yeah. you know falling short there um at times i think that um yeah i don't know him obviously um just from what i've heard from you and another podcast but I'm sure he would say, Corey, be kind to yourself because we, <laughs> all so often we just think about those times and those were the fleeting ones. Those were probably in the, in the three years that, that was a culmination of a very finite short amount of time that maybe you've lost your top. But those are the most important times you need to be kind to yourself and say, <laughs> you know, yeah, look at the situation I'm in. Look at my age. Um, look at how receptive you are to being in that situation in the first place. So kindness to ourselves is so critical when we're going through something like that. The way I try to honor him through that is, is to take those was what I see as some failures and make them learning lessons uh, in terms of uh, what you're saying, maybe being a little kinder to yourself at times just to not overreact, maybe check in with that first, but also I have some learning in, in that area now, which I feel like I would then be able to carry forward. And, and I, I also haven't put the finishing touches on it or maybe just haven't had the courage to, uh, to say that it's wrapped up and release it. But I, I, did write a, I did write a book on my experience with those last three years with my granddad. Well, it starts even before that, tries to give a little background on, on him sure. and then even me growing up with him, like I explained to you, because that's an important part of the context. But then really the the primary part of the story is this journey that we went on together mm. because I w- wanted to make an account for other people who are in that situation or maybe getting ready to confront that situation to have as a reference or to have as um, a check because like Absolutely. as a as a young person, especially like I didn't have peers that were really in the same situation by and large. And since my peer group wasn't doing the same, I didn't really have a lot of people to talk to who were in the same sort of sure. position. Like I, I talked to my, my then you know, girlfriend, now my wife. Um, I talked to my mom. I talked to you know people that I loved and, and that knew me and knew the situation. But and they, they told me what you're telling me, be kind to yourself, like, you know, what, or, or whatever the situation warranted. Mm-hmm. But I did feel a certain degree of isolation and that no one knew exactly what I was feeling from that perspective. And so one of the reasons I wanted to write a book was like, if somebody's in this situation and they were to pick it up, 
they could say like, oh, okay, I'm not losing my mind here. Like somebody feels this about themselves and how they, and I'm not a terrible person. Like, why am I screaming at my mother? She's just a sweet old lady that doesn't remember where the bathroom is, you know, and how is that, you know, but it it builds up, it builds up days and days and situations and situations. And then one day, you know, she's taking a, something out of the refrigerator and pouring it on a bush outside. And you're like, you know, screaming at the top of your lungs, what are you doing? And, you know, she thought she was watering the flowers, you know, and here, you know, so incredibly to to know, I wanted to feel that like I wasn't alone in the feelings that I was having. But I think when I would convey them, like you're saying, most people would say, stop beating yourself up. Mm. But it's like, well, that's not the point. It's not whether I want to stop beating myself up or not. I'm not trying to beat myself up. What I'm trying to figure out is, is this normal like Mm. to feel this way? Does anybody else feel this way? And Mm. to, you know, again, not have a direct person in, in those same trenches. Um, And I'm not saying I didn't have help. Look, my mom and my aunt, they took my granddad for chunks of time and we did, there was plenty of overlap and they did see the same sorts of things. Um, that I saw a hundred percent and dealt with the same challenges. And my wife was there in the house with me day in, day out, helping mm. to every degree that she could. Mm. Um, but I feel like, again, what I'm saying is like uh, being kind of the one over the weeks and months and years, it's this kind of slow adding up of all these just micro situations, micro annoyances and frustrations, not even directly with the other person at times, you know, sometimes, um, at the way somebody else uh, treats them or treats you or just a, a mm-hmm. circumstantial um, frustration, aggravation. If you don't have some way of clearing that or you don't, you're not able to process it and kind of clear that out as quickly as it comes, that yeah. then they're really a bad person and define themselves that way. That's right. correct. They should just try to take that situation for what it was, learn from it, get back in the game, yeah. start start playing your heart out again and leave it all out there on the field or leave it all out there on the water, whatever you want to say. Sure. Um, don't, don't be defeated, you yeah. know, brush it off, put, you know, wipe it off and go. Um, yeah. I, yeah, I do. I can't wait till that comes out. Definitely. Yeah. Maybe a, a project for this off season is the way I see it. It's another lyric from the same band, but it goes, uh, the boy who wrote the lyrics, ain't the man singing the song. You're able to, I mean, look back on your experience with him with a brand new way of thinking. You're almost a different person in a way and different mode of, um, operating and processing information. You're able to take your experience and what you remember accurate or not, put it in your mm-hmm. now present experience with all the five years leading up to who you are now and making sense of it and picking apart what had happened, what you really appreciated, which might have not been what you appreciated then. So um, it's an ever evolving, a, a live um, exercise we do in our brains constantly. And I don't think it ever stops. It gives yeah. me some motivation to actually you know, hunker down something in the winter when I'm all melancholy, uh, melancholic yeah. because I can't go out skiing and looking at your days frozen are short lake. and dark and cold. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, exactly. Good. Um, well, we're at our end of, end of our time. You've given me uh, a ton here. I, I value you brother. This is, this is a great pleasure. I have, um, it's a gift. So thank you so much for spending this time and sharing, being vulnerable, opening up about your views. Um, not worry about, criticism or, uh, you know, this is just who we are. 
And I think a lot of my listeners will will learn a ton from it um, and hopefully take away quite a bit. Well, yeah, I really appreciate you giving me the chance to come on and chat. And I feel like um, we talked about some things off mic that uh, we thought, oh, maybe we'll explore this. Maybe we'll explore that. You know, we, we left some things out there. So maybe someday in the future, we'll, uh, we'll do it again, which would be cool. Dude, I will have you back anytime you can, man. Hey, well, thank you, Evan. Really appreciate it, man. Yeah. You bet. Cool. Thank you so much, everybody. We'll see you next time. Yeah.